Hello, everyone. This is Craig Valentine from TurbulenceTraining.com here with another great fat loss call to get you through the week. This time we're going to focus on how to burn a 1,000 calories. You're going to be hearing a lot about that this week as Joel Marion releases his 1,000-calorie challenge, and it's a really cool idea. And to be honest with you, it's so cool that I'm kind of jealous of it because I didn't think of it first because I hear that question from people all the time, you know, how many calories does this workout burn? And over and over and over again, I've heard it, and I should have came up with an idea like Jewel did, and they basically came up with programs, and they show you exactly how many calories you're burning every single minute, so it's pretty darn cool, and eventually, they work you up to a 1,000 calories, which is very tough, and we're going to show you exactly how tough that is in today's call, but it is possible, um, and of course, the workouts do work you up there as well. Now, for me personally, I'm going to be off to Las Vegas this weekend, hanging around many fitness experts including physiotherapists and kettlebell experts and even hockey conditioning coaches and people that own supplement stores and stuff. So it should be pretty fun. I'll be hanging around that young gun, Alex Morocco, who does speed training programs, and then obviously helping out a lot of other people as well. When I'm there, I'm going to be doing my work. Going to be doing my workouts on Friday morning because I will be doing probably an upper body workout in the gym getting in there Thursday evening and then doing the workout early Friday morning and then Monday morning before I come home, I'm going to do a deadlift workout. And surprisingly, the hotel gyms are usually more uh, rigorous, I guess you would say, than you would find in a regular hotel. You almost always get barbells. And if they don't have barbells at this one, then I'll go to Gold's Gym or something down there in Vegas because I love to go to Gold's Gyms when I travel, so a lot of fun there. All right, so let's move into this week's call and help you lose fat. We're going to start, of course, on Monday, October the 18th with our Transformation Tip of the Week. And it is from a man named Jordan Belfort. That's who I get the quote from. He says, when you focus on failures, you become a person of reasons. And he means a person who makes excuses and brings up reasons for why things happen and why you can't succeed. But when you hang on to your successes and build on them, you become a person of results. And people really like that one on Facebook because I added to it. I just said, you know, don't quit. You can do it. I believe in you. Take the mistakes from the past and forget about them and focus only on what you can achieve in the future. So everyone may have had some um, unlucky situations in the past, some mistakes. You know what? Nothing you can do about that stuff right now. You can only focus on what you can do today, tomorrow, and in the future. So if it means making big lifestyle changes, well, there's no better time to start than right now with small changes and work your way up. So instead of doing a workout on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in this call, what I'm going to talk about today is how to burn 1,000 calories. And so Men's Health Magazine is a great resource for how many calories you can burn for odd activities because they do that every month. They do a eat this, not that, and then they tell you how many calories it would take for you to, to burn off the dietary mistake. So they'll go into, like, Wendy's and, and say, well, you know, instead of eating the Wendy's, double cheeseburger, you know, go to this restaurant and eat the single regular burger and you save this many calories. But then they'll take a look at the thing that, you know, may have been 1,000 or 1,400 calories and they'll tell you how many hours of exercise you would have to do to burn off those calories. So I got some pretty cool stats. I went through some of my most recent issues. In October 2010 issue, they stated that you have to do 67 minutes of jump rope to burn 920 calories. And then in November issue, they said that two hours of chopping wood 
would help you burn the 1,500 calories in a large tuna melt sub from Quiznos. So it would take you about an hour and 15 minutes of jumping or of uh, chopping wood, so just a little bit longer than jumping rope, to burn 1,000 calories. And the November issue, uh, issue also said that two hours of backpacking would help you burn the 1,000 calories in the Romano's Macaroni Grilled Chicken Pasta. So there you go. Those are three things. And then after that, I started combing the Internet for other activities that would take, that would help you burn 1,000 calories. And we'll talk about a few more of them in a bit. But using an elliptical machine, it would take a 200-pound guy over 70 minutes to burn 1,000 calories, which is about the same as a jump rope or the chopping wood. Or it would take two hours of hard gardening or landscaping to burn 1,000 calories. So it takes a lot of work to burn 1,000 calories, and those aren't necessarily the most exciting ways to do it. I mean, out of all those, I would choose the chopping wood. I, I used to do that when I was a kid all the time because my parents' farm had a, a wood stove, and I really enjoyed it except for the blisters I would get from chopping too much too soon. But, you know, I really actually just enjoy chopping wood. It was like, you know, you're actually doing something as opposed to spending 70 minutes on an elliptical machine. So get out there and buy an axe, and you'll be able to burn some calories. Of course, you probably can't do that where you live, but it sure would be nice. We'll talk a little bit more about burning calories in a bit, but now we're going to move into our research review. And this one comes from the journal called Obesity. It's from 2009, and it's called Web-Based Weight Loss in primary care, a randomized controlled trial. And so these were researchers from the Harvard School of Public Health, and they had 101 obese patients, and they gave some of them access to a comprehensive website that taught a moderate-intensity weight loss approach. So, you know, people would check into the website, get information on what to do, go in and do their thing, and other people were not given access to this. Now, the patients were also given two in-person and two telephone counseling sessions with a health coach. So they got website access and coaching. And what they found was after three months, they had a significantly greater weight loss than the other group. Now, the total weight loss isn't massive. They lost 2.56 kilos. So that's, you know, around five and a half or six uh, pounds, which isn't very much in three months, obviously. But the other group didn't lose any weight at all. So the people that didn't get access to the website, they actually gained a, a third of a kilo, so almost a pound over that time. Now, of course, they weren't given, obviously, the best information. They were given very conservative information. Um, turbulence training, as you know, is a more advanced workout routine. It gives you more advanced nutrition. But they were at least given access to a website, and they didn't have social support online, it doesn't seem like either. They also found that there was higher rates of participant retention with the with the website, and the more often someone used the website, the greater the weight loss those people achieved. So the more often somebody logged into the website, the better their results. So the more often you get involved with a website, whether it's a Facebook fan page, like TurbulenceTrainingFanPage.com, or the more often you check in at TTMembers.com if you're on the forum there, or any of the other Websites online, like uh, our good friend John Berardi has Precision Nutrition, you check in there, the more often you get in there, the better your results tend to be. And if we take a look at the people who have won the transformation contests in the past, they tend to be people who have spent the most time in the forum. Now, we've had certainly people that have never done anything 
online with support, but we tend to find most winners spend a lot of time in the forums. All right, so that's pretty much it. They basically concluded that web-based fat loss works, and you're going to see so much more information on this in the future as they do more studies on this and they do a whole lot more of uh, websites coming along and we'll hear a lot more about it in the future. But we've certainly seen more than one study in the past that shows this. Okay, into Wednesday, we got our workout tip Wednesday. And here's a tip to change up your workouts a little bit. It's to do one strength exercise before you get into the metabolic resistance training. And the purpose of this is if you really want to improve on a specific exercise. So let's say you want to really improve on your chin-ups or your squat or your bench press. And if you're just doing, um, like, regular supersets, what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself fatigued from the other exercises and the reduced rest time. So what I personally do is most of my workout is very quick. It's circuits, it's supersets. But I do either bench, squat, or deadlift or handstand push-ups at the start of my workout, and I give myself more rest time, and I don't pair it with another extreme exercise. I might pair it with something that, you know, I might do the squat, and in between sets of squats while I'm taking a long rest, I might do something like a stick-up, which is just an upper body mobility exercise. And so by doing this, you're giving yourself the time to focus on that main exercise and build strength and to give yourself more recovery time rather than you doing the metabolic type training. So you're going to make more improvements in your absolute strength level. And I was even hanging out with a world-class power lifter a couple weekends ago, and he literally squats 1,000 pounds. Like 1,000 pounds is what he's done in a competition. And he basically said there's a lot of similarities between our training. The only difference is that they do that one main strength exercise before they get into supersets or circuits where they just do what's called assistance work. So if you want to improve a particular exercise, do it first with extra rest, lower reps, about six reps is a good place to start if you're regularly doing eight to ten reps per set, and do it in a straight set manner or paired with an easy non-competing exercise. And that'll even work, like I said, if you want to do push-ups. So let's say you're at three push-ups now and you want to work your way up to ten, Instead of doing push-ups, you know, later on in the workout after you've done other strength training exercises, do your push-ups first, give yourself rest in between, and that way you'll be able to work the neuromuscular system better to build strength. All right, into Thursday, we're going to do our Facebook Q&A, and we're going to do two, or sorry, one question here, and then we'll do another question for Friday as well. So, the question came in, which one of your workouts would you recommend for a mountain biker? And so my answer had a lot of uh, kind of details before we got to the actual answer. And because it depends so much on, you know, what's a mount, what is the definition of a mountain biker? Is it a world-class mountain biker? Is it someone who mountain bikes for two hours on a Saturday, maybe 30 minutes once a week? What's the goal of the mountain biking? Do they want to actually be competitive or do they not? Do they would they mind if the strength training interfered a little bit with the mountain biking? Because whenever someone who's doing an endurance training, uh, you know, I get a lot of questions from runners. You know, what's the best run, uh, strength training program for running? And the question really becomes, well, how much are you willing to sacrifice from your running by doing strength training? 
we want to make you stronger for your activity, but we don't want to have you do so much strength training that you become sore. So that's the number one thing I'm looking for here is how much strength training can we do without making you sore? And really, the great thing about mountain bikers and uh, runners is we don't need to give them that much resistance training. We just want to give them a little bit. So what I said to this person was, we're going to use something basic like squats uh, once per week using that uh, lower repetition range, six to eight reps. And if we're doing mountain biking three times per week, we're going to keep the number of sets low to one or two so that we don't have a lot of muscle soreness. But that way we'll build strength still. Now, going back to when I was a university student, I was, uh, I think I was in my first, um, I was in my, I was done undergrad and I was in my first year or maybe first summer of graduate school and we had a study where we had these guys do an incredibly high volume strength training program and we had one guy who was a serious biker and we didn't do squats because in university studies they generally don't have you do squats, they have uh, the subjects do leg presses because they don't want to have to teach people how to do squats and they're more concerned with people hurting themselves in a squat than they are hurting themselves with a leg press. So this guy eventually really built his leg press strength up. And he just said that because of that leg press strength, his climbing ability on his bike was just through the roof. And so building up absolute strength is going to make somebody a better cyclist. And so that's why we'll do the squat. Um, and then maybe one day later in the week, we might do some dumbbell lunges or step-ups, uh, a single leg exercise, and some more body weight training. But again, it depends on how often the person is biking. If they're biking five times per week, we'll probably just do the one strength training workout. And then maybe if they have more of an off-season, we'll do two strength training workouts in that off-season. And they asked me which specific TT workout I'd recommend. I'd probably say go back to the main manual and use either the 2K3 or the 2K4 program, which is an AB split, and then you would just, you know, you'd only do those two workouts. You wouldn't do a third workout in that week, and you'd use the squat as your main leg exercise. All right, now into Friday, we're going to take a look at another Facebook question and a research study. So the question is, hey, Craig, for the eight weeks I've been using turbulent strength for fat loss, is it possible to increase strength without being on a muscle-building routine? Is there amount of reps that is best suited for strength gains? And the answer is absolutely. Of course, you can build strength without getting bigger. Of course, this really depends on your strength training experience. Now, if you're obviously, if you're my age and you've been training for 18 years like I have, and you try and lose weight or lose body fat, you're really not going to get a lot stronger. But if you're brand new, of course, you're going to get stronger because you haven't been training at all. Now, one here's a nice little analogy for strength training that most people don't really think about, is that strength training is a skill much like juggling is. So in addition to building the size of your muscle, which allows you to have more force, there's also the neuromuscular connection, which means your brain controls your muscles. And obviously the first time you squatted, you were uncoordinated, you didn't know how to do it, but as you do it, you get better and better. And it's the same with juggling. You know, the first time you try and juggle, you can't do it, but eventually you just become really good at it, and you can control your hands and and it's just like any skill or skateboarding or, you know, even handstand push-ups. Anything that is really awkward at first, you get better at it because you have the neuromuscular connection. And so that's what you have happening when you start strength training. You have this 
complete lack of coordination, and then you have more neuromuscular connections made, and so you have an increased amount of muscle you're able to tap into. Even if you don't grow muscle, you're able to tap into the muscle that you have to be stronger. And so that's what's happening a lot for beginners when they get stronger and they still lose body fat. As you get more experience, it becomes more difficult to do that unless you're starting a new exercise you've never done before. So that's generally what's going on there. Now with the repetition range, the stronger you are and the more experienced you are and the lower weights, lower repetition range you've been training with, the lower you have to go in repetitions generally to get stronger. So if you've been training at eight reps all the time, going down to six reps and increasing your weight by 5% will help you get stronger. But if you've been training at six reps all the time, then you're probably going to want to drop down maybe three or four reps per set on your main exercise to get stronger for a certain amount of time. You don't always want to be at that rep range. But generally, the lower repetition range, you don't want to do one repetition maximum strength training uh, for many reasons. One, it's not going to be safe for you. And one, you don't want to do that all the time. You're just going to not have a continuous growth. So generally, nice little safe rule if you want to get stronger without being too extreme. And if you're regularly using eight reps per set now, increase the weight by 5%, drop the, the reps down to six reps per set, go with that. That should be conservative and you should do fairly well with that. And then you can start to increase the weight and while keeping it at that six rep uh, per set repetition scheme. All right, so that's you know just a general outline of strength training. We covered quite a bit of strength training. Now we're going to show you that you can do strength training and make improvements at even up to the age of 80. So here's a study from Australia from the Journal of European, or sorry, the European Journal of Applied Physiology. The study was actually from Australia, but we publish studies all over the world here. And so the Australian researchers took a look at 24 older men who were in the age range is 70 to 80. And they put them in either a strength training group or a control group, which did not do uh, strength training, obviously. And what they had them do was three sets of six to ten repetitions on an incline squat. So I'm thinking it's kind of like a leg press, um, some type of squat machine. Now, three sets of six to ten reps at 70 to 90 percent of one rep max so they're working at, you know, a weight that they would go to failure at in about 8 to 10 reps. And they did that same exercise three times per week for 16 weeks. So they didn't change anything. They just had them do that. They came in. They did the three sets of 6 to 10, same weight. Maybe the weight went up a little bit, but they did that three times per week for 16 weeks. So it would have got a little boring. But very important to note is that training increased the rate of force development and when you think of rate of force development, it's generally like if somebody can jump really high, they, they tend to have a high rate of force development because that just means that, you know, a jump is a very quick movement, and if you can develop a lot of force in a quick movement, you're going to be able to jump higher. So if I've trained long-distance running, my rate of force development is probably going to be lower because I, I never train at a high speed or a high uh, force development. So... I'm not going to be able to develop a lot of uh, force in a short amount of time, and my jump's going to be lower. But what they found was when they got stronger, they were able to increase their rate of force development, they increased their upper leg muscle mass, and their strength. And most of those increases were, you know, 10, 15, 20%. They increased a couple of other things, 
but they found their strength almost doubled. There was an increase of 90% over the 16 weeks. Now, you know, you take a guy who's 70 or 80 who's never trained with resistance training ever before in his life, and, you know, that's not that shocking, I suppose, but that's pretty cool that, you know, maybe if you've got a, a father or a grandfather or, you know, maybe you're 60 and getting close to, to age 70 there and you're just getting into resistance training, you can double your strength or your father, your grandfather can double his strength simply by doing nine sets per week of an exercise for 16 weeks. So that's pretty cool. And I bet you they gained a lot of that 90% of strength in much less than 16 weeks. But very cool stuff. And then they added one little extra bonus to this, where they took four weeks off of training. And what they found was each of those improvements significantly decreased, but it was still higher than when they started the study. So, you know, they peaked at 16 weeks, and they had a drop-off after four weeks of not doing anything, but they were still stronger than where they were at the start, which is pretty cool. So you can show that, you know, after, if you stop training for four weeks, and a lot of people I know listening to the call, you know, you miss one, two, three, sometimes four more weeks, uh, you will maintain some of your strength, but you are going to drop off significantly. So that's why I always tell you to come back in conservative. But the bottom line here is that resistance training exercise should be performed on a regular basis to maintain training adaptations at every age. Very cool, very cool study. All right, now into Social Support Saturday. We're going to do 30 minutes of fun activity, of course. And here's a question that I get all the time about loose skin. And so I found this in Men's Health November 2010. So there's not really much of a social support tip here other than to, you know, read plenty of magazines and make sure to listen to my calls for all this cool information. But uh, for anyone who is wondering about what to do with excess skin if they've lost a lot of weight. And, and so they asked this guy, Dr. Galen Perdikas, who's a doctor at the Mayo Clinic, and he said, if you weighed 30% more than what you weigh now for five years or longer, then surgery is your best option for getting rid of the skin. So let's look at that. Let's say you were a 260-pound guy for five years, and then you lost 60 pounds and you got down to 200 pounds, then you're going to be a prime candidate for surgery. So you see how see what I did there? I went from 260 and then I lost 30% of my weight down to 200, but I was at 260 for five years or more. That means I should go get surgery. Now, if I was only at 260 for a year, say for some reason I blew up my knee and then I just, uh, you know, I started eating crazy and... The next thing you know, I bloomed from 210 to 260, and then I lost all that weight in a year, and I got down to 200. Then he would say, give your skin 6 to 12 months to tighten up before you do anything. So here's the rule. If you weighed 30% more than what you weigh now for five years or longer, then surgery is your best option. Other than that, Give yourself six to twelve months to see what happens. Okay? Not. I, mean, I know it's not what everybody wants to hear. They want to hear that you know you go rub some cream on it or you or anything. But unfortunately, that's the best I can do. And some people are going to respond excellent. Some people are going to respond poorly, and it's, it's time is what I mean there. And I hope that uh, you certainly are in the excellent response category.
All right, into Sunday, we got plan, shop, and prepare. we got 30 minutes of fun activity, of course, your grocery shopping, and more information from Men's Health Magazine November issue. This one's kind of hard to believe, but it's it's good uh, good information out there for people who are very worried about eating nuts. So it was a Swedish study, and they had one group of men who snacked on 1,360 calories of non-chocolate candy. So let's say it's Skittles, 1,360 calories of Skittles for two weeks straight. Every day for two weeks, they have that much candy. And then another group ate the same number of calories in peanuts every day for two weeks straight. So almost as much as a woman needs, you know, a small woman needs to eat in a day, they ate that much in candy or peanuts. Now, surprisingly, only the candy group gained weight and increased their waist size, and there were no changes in the peanut group. No changes, even though they ate 1,360 calories of peanuts. And that's not even one of the nuts that most people, you know, think of as good. Most people say, well, peanuts aren't even nuts. You know, they're legumes or whatever. And so that's, you know, at least a starting point to show you that, you know, if you're eating 100 calories of nuts, you don't really need to get uh, as scared of that as most people tend to be. And if you saw the number of calories I consume from walnuts and almonds and cashews in the course of some days, then you would also have your worries, you know, put to rest. I mean, some days I'll be I'll be well over a thousand calories from almonds and peanuts and cashews and walnuts and even pecans. And then the final study that comes out of November 2010 Men's Health is a Japanese research study. So they took a look at 25,000 Japanese men over a long period of time. Uh, this this uh, was published in the Journal Preventative Medicine, and they found that drinking one cup or more per day of green tea helps prevent tooth loss. So uh, not, nothing to do with fat loss there, but at least you keep your uh, chompers. And so on that note, I'm going to head out and uh, hope you had a good hope you enjoyed the call. We got lots of cool stuff from Men's Health Magazine. Always a good source of sound bites there. And the bottom line there is really it's really hard to burn a thousand calories. It's really easy to eat a thousand calories. So as we say in the turbulence training YouTube videos, diet beats exercise every time. So just remember whatever you do, not to go too far overboard with the candy and stuff, especially at this time of year here in North America where we have Halloween and then Thanksgiving and all that good stuff. And just remember that when you do your training, train hard, train forever, because it's always beneficial to you. So next week on the call, we're going to go through my current workout, which is going to be a little bit different. And we're also going to have a research review of superset training. So there's been a couple of superset training research uh, studies published this year, and we're going to have another one next week. Until then, my friends, I wish you another seven days of fat burning. Have a great week. We're going to come back with more great studies. And until then, I can't wait to talk to you. I'm going to maybe bring back some stories from Vegas if I can. So this is Craig Valentine from TurbulenceTraining.com and TTFatLoss.com wishing you another great Seven days of fat burning. Bye-bye, everyone.